Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We're going to be starting a new series today. And uh, if you know how many chapters there are in Acts, there are a, a lot. And so we're not going to whip through this series very quickly. Uh, we were kind of planning out what the year is going to look like, and it's pretty much going to be the book of Acts for the year. And so um, sometimes it will seem like maybe we've, we've kind of uh, slowed down, and sometimes it'll seem like eh, we, need to, you know, uh, we need to slow down a little more because there's a lot of material in there. But we're excited about this book, and we're going to uh, dive into it today and do a little background stuff, a little in- introduction to the topic and things like that. You've got, you've got a handout there in your bulletin that will allow you to take notes if you want to. And uh, I don't think I left blanks on this one, so some of you won't know where to write. But I left giant white spaces so that you can. Plenty of stuff to write in there. So we're going to be in the book of Acts uh, this morning. And for the uh, coming months, probably October, November is uh, the time frame we're going to wrap that up. So uh, before we dive into this, let's go ahead and pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Our Lord and our God, we are grateful that we get to be here today. We get to be here in a safe place. We're not fearing uh, being arrested because we're Christians or because we have Bibles or because we're uh, proclaiming the Word of God or sharing the Gospel or even seeking to convert people from other religions. We're not afraid of those things. And that's your blessing, and we thank you and we praise you for that. And Father, we want to take great advantage of that. We want to uh, advance the Gospel during times of peace as well as during times of difficulty. And so we ask for your blessing on this morning as we open your word and we start reading from the book of Acts and we start looking at uh, what you have done in this world, particularly in the first century church and continuing. We ask that you would bless our time, ask that you would be lifted up, ask that Christ would be made clear, that he would be lifted up in the midst of this time. So Father, I pray that you would help us to set aside those things that would distract us, Help us to focus on our topic this morning, and I pray that you, by your Spirit, would work in our hearts as the Word is proclaimed. I pray that each of us would have the Bible open in front of us, that we would read what's there. I pray that you would minister to us, Lord. Father, we ask for your blessing on this time, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Acts chapter 1, if you are using a pew Bible in front of you, that's page 909. That's uh, pretty easy to find, and uh, we're going to be starting right there. But I want to start this, uh, this message this morning looking back uh, a few years to when I was a brand new Christian. I, I get to talk about myself a lot, and, and I usually hopefully tell stories on myself rather than bragging about myself. And this one's kind of a story on myself. I had been a Christian all of you know, nine months or 10 months when I first went away to Bible school. And I got there and, you know, here I was a seasoned veteran as a Christian, right? And, you know, I just turned 19 and was a, was a new Christian. And I remember having a conversation with, uh, with one of the guys at uh, one of the teachers there at the school named Doug Lanier. And he's a very interesting guy, loves Christ. And, and he was kind of trying to get to know me since I had shown up two weeks late to, to school. He was trying to get to know me a little bit. And I remember explaining to him that, you know, the, um, it seems like the excitement of the Christian life has kind of blown over. And uh, I'm kind of in the doldrums. I remember using that word with him. And remember, I had been a Christian 10 months at this time. And uh, the excitement that, you know, the fresh, fresh blush of, of the Christian life was over or whatever. And, and I just, I felt like, well, the, the, the excitement, the extreme excitement that I felt, the great comfort that I felt when I had first trusted Christ, that my, my sins were forgiven, that, that, that I, God was pleased with me, not because I had accomplished anything or done anything, but because of what Jesus had done, that, that God looked on me with favor. He looked on me with grace and kindness. And that was amazing to me because I, I was no longer under the condemnation of God. I was no longer his enemy and I felt a great freedom and a great joy and, and that's exciting. And, and you, you remember that you remember that that was, it's a wonderful time. And, and it just, it just feels free and, and like a weight has been lifted because a weight has been lifted. And, and, uh, and that was that, that was that new blush of being a Christian and it was wonderful and it was exciting. I was free. I wasn't I wasn't bearing the, the penalty for my sins anymore. The penalty had been put on Christ and he had paid that price. And by faith in him, I now was free from that. 
And so the joy I felt was wonderful and, and the excitement and the freedom and the relief and all of those things, they, they were wonderful. And now some time had passed and I had realized that, oh man, I'm still a sinner. <laughs> I still commit sin and, uh, you know, I still feel guilt towards God because of that. And, and, uh, and, you know, Christians are wonderful people, but they're not perfect either. And, and they're kind of like me and they sin too. And, and so I was starting to, to wake up to reality, you know, that, that honeymoon phase of the Christian life had been over. And I was, I was telling Doug, you know, I, it feels like, you know, maybe the excitement's passed or, I was in the doldrums. The doldrums like when the wind stops blowing and you're not sailing across the sea anymore. You're just kind of sitting there. You're becalmed is another word for it. That's kind of what I felt like. You know, what's, what's next? Like that, that was so exciting. What's the next exciting thing I'm going to experience in the Christian life? And I wasn't experiencing it yet. And, and I was saved. But now what? Now what? The reality of being a Christian was the question that faced me. And so fortunately I was, I was able to, um, be at a Bible school during that time and, and have very great instruction on that topic and be discipled along, uh, those answers. But that question, so I'm a Christian, but now what? Once the honeymoon's over and you realize, wow, I, I st- am still the same person. Yeah, God's doing a, a thing in me. He's, he's changing, but I'm still the same. I still look in the mirror and I, and I see and I remember myself and my sin and, and, and what I'm like. And so I'm a Christian. Now what? And that's kind of the question that's, that's uh, before the disciples, the small band of believers during this time. That's where the book of Acts starts, is kind of answering that question. You see, if you, if you look back and think about what had happened in the gospel narratives, you have all the teaching and ministry of Jesus and the miracles and the healing and all that goes on. And then finally, it, it, it leads to him going to Jerusalem and being crucified, right? And he was innocent and he was put to death, but he willingly, uh, you know, gave himself up for that, that he would pay the penalty for that. And, and so he, he dies and he's really dead. He's all the way dead and they bury him. And, and then he's buried for, you know, days and then God raises him from the dead. And so now he's walking around and now he's appearing to disciples and now he's doing these things. And so, so the, the price has been paid and Christ is among us and, and he's alive and he's walking around. So what are things going to be like now? He's talking about the fact that he's going to be leaving. He's going to be going away to the Father and then the disciples are going to, it's just going to be them. Well, then what do they do? They have salvation in Christ. They have forgiveness of their sins. They have, they have all of those things that were so exciting to me when I was a brand new Christian and that are so exciting to, uh, to you. They had those things, but they've been walking around with Jesus for three years. And he was leaving. Now what? Now what's going to happen? And so that's where we find ourselves. That's where we're jumping in, in the beginning of the book of Acts, is into that context and what's going on in that in that situation and how how that question is answered so Jesus is alive but he's going away so now what now what are things going to be like and so that that kind of introduces us to the book of acts uh, or at least where the conversation where the development of the early church is at that time and so we want to spend some time looking at and introducing uh, more generally the book of acts and how it connects with the book of Luke the book of Luke so if you We'll look at even just Acts chapter 1 and verse 1 in the first book, O Theophilus. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, and then it goes on. Right? So in the first book, well, there's a first book, and it's this address to Theophilus. And so if you will flip left in your Bible, and if you're using a pew Bible, that's going to be on page 855. You will find the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. And so Luke wrote two volumes. He wrote this, the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote the Acts, the book of Acts, the book of the Acts of the Apostles, or some scholars like to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, um, but uh, the Acts. Anyway, so, so he wrote Luke's, Luke, he wrote the Gospel there, and then he turned around and as, as second volume, not as an afterthought or a second thought, but as volume two of what he wrote, he wrote the book of Acts. If you see the beginning of there, uh, Luke chapter one, and verse one, it says, inasmuch As many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, 
that you may have certain that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so you see there's a great similarity with the beginning of Luke which is addressed to Theophilus. And you have Luke talking about how he had done research. He was not one of those eyewitnesses. He was not one of those who was there when these events in the, in the, the gospel happened. But instead he researched them. And he wanted to give an orderly account. He's doing the work of an historian. And he's writing a book. And he writes the gospel of Luke. And then the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1. It's a little confusing because John is in between Luke and Acts in your Bible. I'm not certain why that is, and really scholars aren't even super certain why that is. But but Luke is volume 1, Acts is volume 2, and you look at how the book of Acts chapter 1 starts in the first book of Theophilus. I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so that's how those those books are connected. And so when you read through Luke, it jumps right into the book of Acts. And when you start with Acts chapter 1, it's starting with the background of Luke in mind. And so it would be a profitable read for you as we're going through the book of Acts to go back and start at, at Luke and start reading through Luke. It will, it will bring you up to speed, not just about uh, the, the events that happened, but also the way Luke describes them and how he's building his argument and how he carries that argument through into the book of Acts. And so that's where Luke begins. Luke begins in a very similar fashion to the way Acts begins. And Luke was not... He was not one of the people on the, on the ground. He was not one of these disciples. He had to do some research. He had to ask people and quiz people and find out what happened. And so he's compiling this narrative. He's compiling a history of these events. And even many of the, the events of the book of Acts, he was not there for those. He's getting those reported to him and he's writing them down and he's arranging them in such a way that we will have a sound history of this event. And not just a history as in, you know, in 1812, such and such happened and in 1813, not, not just a dry narrative of the events as they occurred, but a description, a, a description that's inspired by God of these events as they occurred and what they mean, the significance of them. And so that's what he's doing in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts. And, and so... That's Luke begins in a very similar way to the way Acts begins. But Acts, when it begins, it rehearses some stuff that's already been discussed in Luke chapter 24, the way the book ends. And so when he is telling the story of the gospel of Luke, he brings it down to conclusion in Luke chapter 24. And he talks about some things in there. And then he picks up on those same threads when he starts the book of Acts. He wants to grab those threads and he wants to work with them to weave this new tapestry that he's got going in the book of Acts. And so the two are very intricately linked uh, with what is going on there. And so if you will turn to Luke chapter 24, page 885, the whole day won't be spent flipping around, but it's useful. Luke uh, chapter 24, so that's the end of the gospel of Luke and how he concludes it. And, uh, and it's important for us to see how Luke does so. And I want to read... I want to read how he finishes there. It will kind of bring us up to speed for opening up our book. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. 
while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And so there you have these threads that are, that are, that are left hanging or, or visible there at the end of the book of, of Luke. And, and first of all, you see that Christ is raised from the dead. He didn't stay dead. He wasn't killed finally and, and left there, but he was raised from the dead. You see that he appears to the disciples and he gives proofs even. He doesn't just, you know, he's not just an image standing before them, but he says, he says, you see that I have flesh and bone. You can touch me. Here are my hands. Here are my feet. And by the way, I can eat. And a spirit doesn't eat either. And so he demonstrates to them by eating that, uh, that he really was raised from the dead, that he was actually in their midst and not just an image or something like that, not just a spirit, right? And so uh, you have there um, kind of what's happening at the end of the gospel and you have these threads dangling which will become the, 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 the center or kind of the theme or one of, one of the great themes of the book of Acts and that is that you are witnesses of these things and you're to go and proclaim them. You're to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in Christ and you're to, you're to, you're to do this all, throughout all the world. But wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high and then you will be able to go. And so that's how he concludes that. And after having said that, he ascends back to heaven. He goes to be with the Father, and he's no longer physically on this earth in the same way anymore. And so that's the connection. You see that there, the threads that are, that are left hanging at the end of the book of Luke, we start see them, seeing him pick them up in the beginning of the book of Acts. And so as we turn to Acts chapter 1, and we read verses 1 through 5, we can see that he starts tugging on the same threads. Acts chapter 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so that's how you have the beginning. Those are him. Uh, we see Luke here grabbing those same threads, and he's going to start working with them throughout the book of Acts. I want to talk about some of the theological emphases as we look forward to the book of Acts, what kind of things does it talk about? Well, we see in there that God is still accomplishing His plan. That things haven't changed, things haven't been derailed because Jesus was killed, and, and God hasn't given up on that plan, and it's, it's not a, a new thing entirely going on, that it is God who is still accomplishing His plan. And you will see that carry out through the book of Acts in miraculous ways and in mundane ways. We'll see in the book of Acts that Jesus, he's the Messiah and he's the Lord of all. You'll see ministry continue amongst the Jews, but then do a new thing and begin to branch amongst the Gentiles. And so you'll see the gospel proclaimed to them as well. And you'll see Jesus is the prophesied Messiah of the Old Testament uh, of the Jews, but he's also the Lord of all, including Gentiles. And so you'll see the gospel do that. You'll see a great emphasis on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is mentioned some 70 times in the book of Acts. What he's doing and the way he's moving and, and, uh, and how he's at work in the church and those sorts of things. And so you see that he empowers the apostles' ministry just like he empowered Jesus' ministry. Back in, in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 and 14, it's discussed that Jesus went forth in power and he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to minister through him. And just in the same way that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the ministry he did, we're going to see it in the, in the book of Acts. We have the disciples, the apostles, the church being empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve God and do the things that God wants them to do. So we're going to have a great emphasis on the Holy Spirit. And so for the next year, we're going to be talking a lot about the Holy Spirit and what he's doing. We're also going to be talking a lot about salvation. It's going to be made more and more clear. And we're going to see, we're going to see the gospel proclaimed in different ways. And, and we're going to see salvation uh, go forward in new ways and to new groups. And, and we're going to understand it better as a result. We're going to see that the gospel is the central focus of the preaching of the apostles. We have several lengthy sermons and some brief sermons in the book of Acts, and we can see that they have a very strong emphasis on the gospel. 
for their reason for proclaiming what they do. We're going to see also a very strong emphasis on the development of the church. You're going to see the church start to develop and function as a church that's different from the small band of disciples and, and the way things happened at, uh, during the book of Luke and even here at the beginning of Acts. You're going to see the church start to develop and grow. And you're going to see that the church has a very great witness and a very great mission that they've been given and that they are actually mobilized and they're on the go and they take this gospel message with them wherever they go. And so those are some of the emphases, some of the themes that we're going to see developed and as we go along through the book of Acts. Those are kind of the, the things that are going to, going to appear again and again and again. And something I want to notice here as we move on to uh, our point number two is it, that the work continues. The work continues. I think it's very interesting that it says in verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. At this point, Jesus is about to ascend. He's, he's going to be with the Father. Just, just a few verses later, we're going we're gonna to have a retelling of the ascension. So Jesus is not on the scene anymore in the same physical way that he was when he was with the disciples. And yet we have Luke here talking about, yeah, I wrote before when I wrote the, when I wrote the gospel uh, of Luke about all that Jesus began to do and teach. The, the point being, the emphasis being, He's continuing to do and teach. And so he started when he was amongst them and he was, he was there physically and they could see him and they could hear him and they could touch him and they could eat with him. And now he's, now he's going away, but he's going to continue to work. And so there's a very great emphasis on Jesus began something in the book of Luke, but he's going to continue that something going forward. And so that's a, that's a, a powerful image for us to understand as we look forward in the book of Acts that, that he began something and he will continue. See, when we read this, we would expect, I wrote before about all that Jesus did, and now I'm writing about what the church did or will do or what the Holy Spirit did or will do or something like that. But he, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is still at work. He's still active. He hasn't passed the torch off. He himself is still active throughout the book of Acts. Just like he told him in John chapter 16 when he was talking of the coming of the Holy Spirit, he said, It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so it's actually to our advantage. It actually benefits us. It's actually good for us that Jesus go away because when he does so, he will send the Holy Spirit to each of us who believe in Christ. And so he's continuing the work that he began. We see that right there in verse 1. We have an interesting fact here in verse 4, though. He says, while, uh, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So they were to stay in Jerusalem. Some versions say while eating with them. That word is very hard to translate, staying with them, eating with them. Some people think it has something to do with them taking salt together. And but we know that Jesus ate with them. Right? I mean, he ate at least broiled fish, and there were other times that uh, he ate with them as well, so there's no problem with that. But while he was with them, or while he was eating with them, or something like that, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. To wait. He's not just huddling them up and giving them a pep talk, and then saying, all right, and go, do your best. You know, good luck to you. You know, he's not doing that. That's not his message. He's saying, there's one coming. There's one coming, this helper that I've spoken of before. The Holy Spirit is going to come. The promise of the Father, He's going to come to you, and you need to wait here. And don't leave until you have the Holy Spirit. Then when you do, you're going to go forth with the, with the message. But you need to wait. You need to stay here in Jerusalem. And so there's, there's going to be, a, there's going to be uh, a time when that promise from the Father comes. And when that promise from the Father comes, there's going to be great change. And you see that he talks about in the second half of verse 4 and into verse 5. He said, which, he said, so this is the promise from the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He says the Holy Spirit is coming. 
the Holy Spirit is coming. And, and you, you were baptized into John's baptism as a baptism of water, and it meant certain things, but it by no means has the same significance as the baptism of the Spirit, which is coming, in which uh, the Spirit will come and dwell in all believers. And you will have the Holy Spirit residing within you, and He will be the one who clothes you with power from on high so that you can go forth and you can do this ministry that you're going to be sent on, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so you have, you have in this sense, a very real change that's happening that instead of them looking to Jesus as the one standing beside them and waiting to see what Jesus was going to do, instead, Jesus goes away, he sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit lives within them so that they become the messengers. And we wait and see what they're going to do. We wait and see what the Holy Spirit is going to do through them. And sometimes it's miraculous. And sometimes it's wonderful. And sometimes it's mundane. Sometimes it's a little scary what the Holy Spirit does. But He's going to be with you. And He's going to be in you. And He's going to be ministering. And so Jesus had given the great commission. He had commissioned His disciples to go forth. But He didn't just say, All right, now you've got your outline memorized. And I've got you all you know, pumped up. And you've been taught. And I've, I've shown you how to do this. Now go and do it. That's not what he does. He does all of those things. He does teach them the truths of the gospel. He does train them. He does spend time working with them. He does pep talk them. He does encourage them. But he says, you need to wait because gospel ministry is only gospel ministry if it's driven by the Holy Spirit, if it's the Holy Spirit at work. Because sharing the gospel is not just convincing someone of the truth of the gospel. It's not just having your arguments in a row so that, you know, I backed you into a corner and you have to agree with me. Or it's not being persuasive. All of those things are good. But gospel ministry happens. And the, and the gospel changes people's lives when it is the Holy Spirit who applies it. When He works in the heart of a person, He's going to do His thing to draw a person to Himself. And so I want to be persuasive. And I want to present the gospel well. And I want to have a good understanding. And I want all of us to have all of those things as well. But it is the Holy Spirit who applies the gospel. And so he says, don't you dare leave on your ministry until you have the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is going to come in the beginning of Acts chapter 2. We're going to see that he's going to come. And it's going to be miraculous. And it's going to be visible and audible. And you can tell that this is the first time that the Holy Spirit has, has been present in this way. There's something new going on. He says, you need to wait for that before you go. Don't leave without the Holy Spirit. And that's different than our time. That's different than our time, right? We, by virtue of faith in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And so we're not waiting for some big explosive thing that the Holy Spirit does. We're not waiting for a time when we're, there's going to be a visible uh, you know, manifestation of the Holy Spirit so that everyone's like, yeah, I saw it too, I heard it too, I felt it shaking too, uh, and then therefore, because of that, we can go forward and proclaim the gospel, or because of that violent shaking or the visible uh, or miraculous manifestation of the Spirit, therefore we know that God has blessed us and He's with us. We're not waiting for that. We're in a different time. The Holy Spirit has been given. The Holy Spirit has already been given and it's visible and not the Holy Spirit is, uh, the Holy Spirit in, in acting, working is visible. He manifests himself. And, and we see that there happen in the book of Acts. That's different for us. And we're going to explain that going forward as we talk about each of these different groups and when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and what that's like. But we as Christians, as those who have faith in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us. And we have the great commission to go forward with the message. But we need to know that when we go forward with the message, having already received the Holy Spirit, having already received the message, that the effectiveness of the gospel is by the working of the Holy Spirit. It's not my, by me being really sharp in my presentation of it. It's not by you having a really excellent, perfect outline or knowing all the defenses. It's by the working of the Holy Spirit. And so we look to Him and we rely on Him. We go forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's absolutely essential to the mission that they're going to have, and he's absolutely essential to the mission that we have as well. And so the rest of the plot of the book of Acts is about that playing out. And sometimes it looks wonderful and, and, and glorious, and other times it looks like a guy in chains going to trial. 
But that's the working of the Holy Spirit. And we see that at play going forward, that Jesus, whose message was empowered, whose ministry was empowered by the Holy Spirit, Luke chapter 4, he also empowers his church in the same way, to go forward and minister in power, knowing that God has called us to do so. And so that's what we're looking at in uh, the book of Acts. That's, that's the direction we're heading. Those are the things we're going to be uh, bringing out and, and examining uh, closely. But I have a couple of questions. What's the relevance for us here at Parkside? Why study the book of Acts? How does it, what does it have to do with us? I mean, Acts is 28 chapters long, and it's going to take us 10 months to get through. Uh, is it worth that much investment? Well, first of all, yes, it's the Word of God. And so it's worth that much investment. All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Second Timothy. But do you know how Paul continues there in Second Timothy 3? Actually, it's chapter 4 he continues. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and... Do you know what the next word is? Teaching. Teaching. I had to read that a couple times. The first time I was really studying through that. You're, you're to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching that a large part of what we do here at Parkside is teach you what the Bible says, teach you the message of the Bible. And that we have been commissioned by God to do, to teach you what the word says. And so as we look through the book of Acts, that's a big thing that we are focusing on is understanding what God intends for us to have from the book of Acts, where Acts fits into the entire narrative of the Bible, how Acts relates to us who live in the 21st century. And so we're going to be talking about that. And it is God's word. It is profitable for all those things. And it's profitable for us to learn and grow in these areas. It's profitable for teaching and for reproof and correction and training in righteousness that we, church, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And that's what we want. And so, yes, the book of Acts is relevant for us at Parkside because it's God's word. It's also relevant for us at Parkside because we also are spirit-empowered witnesses. Like you see the church throughout the book of Acts, being nudged by the Holy Spirit, being sometimes blocked by the Holy Spirit, sometimes chastened by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit for ministry, that's us. That's the age we live in. That we, as a church of the redeemed, We have the Holy Spirit living within us. He nudges us. He corrects us. He chastens us sometimes. He empowers us for ministry. He empowers the gospel proclamation that we make. That is us. And so we want to look and see what the early church did. Rather, we want to look and see what the Holy Spirit did through the early church. And we'll find instruction for ourselves. We'll find encouragement for ourselves, And we'll find direction for ourselves as a church. And that's what we want, is we want to look into the book of Acts and see what God has done. Now, there's a principle of hermeneutics that narrative is not normative. Meaning, just because we read something that happened in the book of Acts, which is a narrative account, a story account, doesn't mean that, that therefore, that that is normative for us because we read it in the narrative. See, we, we, we need to understand what was going on and we need to understand how God was working and, and how the gospel was going forth during this time. And then in light of that, we will be able to apply that to our own situations and our own lives. But just because we read something in this narrative does not automatically mean that that is normative for our lives. We're going to do the same thing. And you're going to see some things where we don't really understand why the church is doing that or, or why, uh, why certain things happened or whatever. For example, there's going to be a split that's going to happen between Paul and Barnabas, and they're going to kind of get in a tiff with one another and go different directions. Is that normative for us? Should we seek those kind of disagreements out and therefore split things? So we need to use discernment when we read through this. But we are spirit-empowered witnesses. He has given us the same commission. He sent us out to do the same thing, to be witnesses of these things and to proclaim to other people repentance and forgiveness of sins in Christ. Luke chapter 24. That's the message that we have. But there's a third reason. 
There's a third reason that, that this book is relevant. For, there are more reasons than this, by the way. I've just chosen to highlight these three. But he works through us now. He works through us now. The, the apostles were a small band of believers, and they had other, other disciples and other believers around them. And they, they could have been looking back on their time with Jesus with, with kind of longing and, and ah, he's going to leave soon and I'm going to enjoy my last moments with him. But boy, those were three great years, weren't they? I mean, God was really working and we saw Jesus do all this stuff and, and we even got to participate and, and God used us. And man, that was a blessed three, three and a half years. And, you know, it's kind of a shame that it's coming to an end. It's just too bad. But that was a great time. That was a great time. They might have been tempted to think in those terms, to look back on their time with Jesus in that way, with kind of a longing and kind of melody, like, a, like a, you know, they were, they were longing for that time to, to be again. And Luke challenges us right at the beginning and says, yeah, I wrote a book about that. But that was what Jesus began to do and teach. And so... For the disciples who may have been tempted to look back and think in that regard, oh, those, those were the days when we got to really be with Jesus, and now it's just going to be different. He says, yeah, it's going to be different. And it's going to be wonderful as God works. It is, it is good for us that Jesus went away because he sent his spirit so that he might live within each one of us. And there is a new thing going on that's different. And yes, it was wonderful to be with Jesus. Of course, it was a blessed thing to walk with him. And it's an even more blessed thing to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he says there. That's what he's talking about. And so we, in Fallon in 2018, are in the same situation we read the Bible sometimes and we, we, we look at the disciples and we think, wow, they had Jesus standing right there. Why didn't they get it? You know, and, or man, it must have been wonderful to see Jesus do this thing or to talk to him after he was raised from the dead and put your finger in his hands and, and, and his side and, and to eat with him. And wouldn't that have been wonderful? And yes, it would have been wonderful. It's tempting for us to look back and to think that would have been wonderful when in fact God says it is for your good that he went away so that the Holy Spirit might come. And so here we are in 2018 in Fallon, America, having the Holy Spirit dwell within us to empower us, to clothe us with power from on high to go forth and do the ministry that God has called us to do. I think often we think in terms a little bit like I did when I was a brand new believer in the conversation I was having with Doug Lanier that uh, I was crazy excited to be a Christian. I mean, I was, I was really aware of, of my sin and the depth of it and, and what really I deserve from God, but to, to receive mercy from Him instead was a wonderful thing. And I was excited, and I would tell people about it all the time, and I, it was just oozing. It was a wonderful thing. And then, and then that, that kind of, you know, that excitement became a little bit less exciting because, yeah, it's exciting. I have to remind myself that it's exciting. And then, you know, time passes, and pretty soon... That was exciting when that happened. And I think sometimes as Christians, we live in the same way. We think, yeah, I've been forgiven of my sins. I've, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I have the Holy Spirit living within me and I'm in Christ and I get to come to church and I get to do all these things. But is this really all there is? What now? What now? And that was the question I was asking. What now? And the book of Acts is going to answer that for us. You see, we as Christians need to understand that the gospel is not just that thing that happened. When I trusted Christ, that was not just that point of excitement some point in the past where I felt great joy for a period of time, but then all great joy eventually wanes a little bit unless you understand it in a new way or, or whatever. That, that, that the gospel is not just how you get into the kingdom of God. It is how we live our lives as Christians. You're going to see throughout the course of the book of Acts that the, the disciples and the apostles, they, they continue to realize that God is holy and they're sinful. And as they go on, as they continue through their, their lives and their ministry, and you see the church grow and the gospel go forth and, and the development of the story in the book of Acts, you see that, that they, they, they realize that more and more. And they realize again and in a new way 
praise the Lord for Jesus and the forgiveness that I have that he paid that penalty for my sin. And you should hear about this. It's wonderful that you could have that kind of forgiveness. And when God looks at me, he, he looks at me with favor, not because I'm great, but because of what Jesus has done, that, that, that my life of obedience, which is always mixed in with disobedience because I'm fallen, is not the thing, not the, that, that's not the, the criterion that God uses when he looks at me with favor. He looks at me with favor because Jesus was always and utterly and completely and finally faithful and obedient. He obeyed in my place. And so my standing before God is not dependent upon how I'm doing right now or this week or this year. My standing before God is dependent upon how Jesus did and how did Jesus do perfectly. And God is pleased to look at him and God is God God loves to look at his obedience and it's a wonderful thing. And when I trusted Christ, I, I gave my disobedience and it's applied, it's transferred to Jesus. And he pays for it on the cross. But at that same time, he gives me his obedience. And so all the perfect obedience that he obeyed his entire life, that now applies to me. And so the longer I live as a Christian, and the longer you see believers uh, throughout the book of Acts, the more you see them understanding, the only hope I have is Jesus. For forgiveness and for righteousness before God. And I'm going to stand upon that. I'm going to remind myself of that. And today when I'm faced with this new challenge, I'm not trying to curry God's favor or I'm not trying to add to what he thinks of me or, or something like that. I have acceptance before him because of Christ, because of my faith in him. I already have that. So I'm going to step forward in obedience. I'm free from all of those considerations. And I love him and he set me free. I want to obey him. I want to tell other people about him. I want to walk in obedience to him. I want to avoid the things that, that are sinful. I want to avoid the things that he hates because I love him. I've been set free from that whole conversation, from that whole thing. And I'm going to walk in obedience and I'm going to rejoice in him and I'm going to fail and I'm going to praise God that he has forgiven me in Christ and I'm going to have my standing before him because of what Jesus did and I'm going to start all over. And I'm going to walk in obedience and I'm going to walk in joy having that whole weight of pleasing him set aside. And so Christian, you're a Christian. You've been saved. Now what? Well, the gospel is what? The gospel is what? And so we want to learn as we go through the book of Acts, we want to see how God is continuing to work by his gospel through even believers. But now you have the Holy Spirit living within you. And so when you seek to obey God out of joy, because you've been set free, you don't have to, you don't have to try and measure up or whatever. You, you just love Him. You've been set free and you, and you go forth. You actually have the Holy Spirit empowering you to do the things that God has called you to do. To share the gospel with people or to, to turn away from sin or whatever it is. You have the Holy Spirit empowering you to do that. And so you go forward in joy, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. And so, Christian, you're, you're a Christian. Now what? We want to live the Christian life in light of all of the truths that we have, have cruised through today in the book of Luke. The fact that God has given redemption. And so, another concluding question here. The first one was, so you're a Christian, now what? How do you live the Christian life? The second one is, was the high point of your Christian life the day you trusted Christ? kind of have to think about that a little bit because that was a serious high point <laughs> that that was a wonderful wonderful day that was a wonderful time when you were you were redeemed and you were first set free and you had forgiveness and that joy and that and 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 we're that's a wonderful time i remember very clearly the flood of peace that's the best word for it i remember that very clearly was that the highlight of your christian life was that the high point of your Christian life? Or are you aware of the mission that God has called you to do? To be a witness and proclaimer of repentance and forgiveness of sins in Christ to an unbelieving world. And by the way, that is the work he's called us to do and says he will empower us to do. He says, actually, you will be clothed from power with power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to go and do that thing. He actually said, it's better that I go away because then I can send the Holy Spirit. And we're in that time. 
that's where we are, that we're living out the Christian life. And so when we think back to when we first trusted Christ, when we think back to that early blush of, of joy and peace and freedom and, and wonder and all that we had as a brand new Christian, is, is that the highlight? Do we look back at the highlight and then it's kind of downhill from there? Is that the way we think about it? Now we're sort of, you know, just living out our days. Is that true for us? Is that true for me? I hope that's not true for you. I hope that's not true for me. That God is calling us to something wonderful and it's Him working powerfully as He sends us forth to do things we don't think we can do. Because the gospel is not only about comfort for me. Right? The gospel is very comforting. All those, that peace, joy that I talked about, being in, in right relationship with God so that He looks on you with favor because of Christ, that's very comforting and that's very peaceful and that's very wonderful. That is not the end of it. He has given us that comfort, He's given us that joy, and He's given us that peace, and He wants us to take it to other people. He wants us to go forward with it. it it's not a self-absorbed kind of peace and joy. It exists and it really exists in me, but we are called to go forward and He wants us to go forward with that. And when we really understand that peace and that joy and that excitement, we want to go forward with that and tell other people. We want to be free with the gospel. We want to be telling people about how they also can have that same thing. So it's not just comforting in us, but it's a comforting message that's to to be taken into the world and proclaimed out there. It's for others around us also. And so if that's the case, if we get to take that same joy to other people, how can we look to some point in the past and find that to be our high point? I look forward to what God is calling us to in the future when other people get to experience that same thing and they get to have that high point and someone else gets to have that high point and we get to see that in the future that God would use us to bring that about is a powerful thing. And so as we look back, are we seeing the Christian life, the high point of the Christian life in the past? And the last question is for us as a church. Do we as a church look to some high point in the past as being the pinnacle of when God was really blessing us? Was that the highlight? Was it sometime in the past? Was it sometime in the 90s when, 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 when people, you know, kids were getting saved, youth were getting saved, adults were getting saved? Was it sometime, some, maybe it was some other time in the past where God was really blessing and really moving? Maybe, maybe that's the highlight for our church. And oh, the good old days. And we can look back and we can think about that time in the past when God was blessing. Is that the way we think? Do we dare think that way when we've been given the Holy Spirit We've been given freedom in Christ. We've been given this peace of the gospel of being made right with God. And we've been given the opportunity and the power to go forth and share it with other people. Do we dare look to the past as the high point? We dare not, church. We dare not look back to any time that has come before. Because God has not called us to that time. He's called us to now. And He's called us to these people in this community the people we have in our circle, that's what he's called us to. Let's look forward, trusting God that he is going to work in power as we go forward with the gospel, ministering in this time, in this community, and in our circles that he's called us to now instead of looking with longing back on the good old days. There were good old days. And God is at work. And what's he going to do in the future? What's he going to do when his Holy Spirit works And he draws people to himself. And we get to see new people come to Christ. And we get to see new people have that peace with God that they have never had before. And as as he does that here, what's that going to be like? Imagine that. Look forward to that. Trust him for that. We need to look to the past and rejoice in those things that God has done. And we need to look forward. And we need to seek what he's going to do now. Pray for what he's going to do now. Ask Him to move and work now, in this time, in this day, in this age. Because He's called us to this field. He says, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things, Parkside. And behold, He has already sent the promise of the Holy Spirit. And we are now clothed with power from on high to accomplish the mission that he's given us. 
let's go forward and do it. Let's go forward and do it. And so as we proceed through the book of Acts and we see, we see the, the, the kingdom of God expanding into new areas and areas they didn't even think possible, let's pray that God would do that here. Let's pray that God would do that in our midst, using Parkside, using other gospel-proclaiming churches here in Fallon and in the area to move forward, that we would see what God is doing, that He would do a wonderful thing, and that it would be a thing that causes us to rejoice and think, yeah, those good old days were good old days, and this is a wonderful blessing that God is doing that we would look forward to what God has going for us. So that, that's my desire for us as a church. And that's, that's what I hope we see as we proceed through the book of Acts, that we will see God blessing in new ways, that we will see the gospel going forth in power to redeem sinners and also the gospel at work in believers as they live their Christian life daily. That's what I long to see. That's what I want to pray for. And so I'm going to pray now. After I'm done praying, there's going to be a family who will be up front to pray with you. Uh, if you if you need to pray with them, if you need to talk with them, counsel with them, uh, come and come and pray with them. They they love that ministry. If you need to talk to me about something, come and see me or Pastor Woody. Let's see what God's going to do. Let's pray. Father, I rejoice that you have done such wonderful things in this world. And I look back on wonderful things you've done in my life and in the life of this church and other churches I've been involved in. The great things you've done. I look back and I think about those things and I rejoice. And they, they make me happy and they, they kind of make me nostalgic for that time. And yet I, I, I know that your Holy Spirit is still indwelling your children to do the work of ministry going forward, clothing them with power from on high that they might take the message of the gospel in power to people around them. Father, I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would use us, use this church to be proclaimers of the gospel, to be bearers of the gospel, to be those who live out walking with Christ because of the gospel and in light of the gospel, empowered by the gospel, that, that we would take that message to people around us. I pray that you would do a great work here, that those nostalgic times I think of in the past or maybe even that I read about in the Bible, that, that I would take courage from those things, but that I, I would look forward to what you are going to do. I've read the end of the book, the book of Revelation, and I see Jesus winning. I have every confidence. I have every uh, belief that you are going to do wonderful things and they will be for your glory. And I pray that you would start them even now. I believe you've already started them here in Fallon and at Parkside. And I pray that you would do wonderful things. Father, may we look to you. May we trust you. And may this series in the book of Acts be honoring to you and a blessing to our congregation. And may you do wonderful things for the sake of your name, even in the next several months. Father, we ask for your blessing. We praise you. We honor you. We give you glory. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Now...